Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where we go 365 days, bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast, as well as informing, as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. Yeah, I mean, whenever you think about Tucker Carlson, and then you look about the recent... Uh, what's been transpiring within the Pentagon as it relates to Arrow. And Arrow is an organization that's essentially been created within the last three years to focus on studying UAPs or unidentified phenomenon. Aerial phenomenon, yes. Yeah, and that's they've tra- transitioned it over. And this organization has been considering um, getting a lot of backlash recent- recently as it relates to the whistleblower. But whenever we look at this new government organization, what they're doing is super interesting. There hasn't been anything really like it prior. So what they're able to do is now go in, uh, go through different funding, aggregate different streams of data, and put together different sightings that have occurred both within the DOD and within the civilian population. Okay, and obviously the, you know, the amount of reports has increased over the, you know, in the recent years as far as these UAPs, right? Yeah, well, re- reports have gone up. You have the TikTok phenomenon. You have things happening like with David Fravor. You have a whole situation that, that is now creating a new theme for it, and it's bringing more information to the public. And when we look at Arrow, Arrow in itself is an organization that's created for that. So it's all domain um, phenomenon resource office. And this is essentially tied into the intelligence community. And as di- it's a different apparatus for how they've been able to kind of use the funding. And whenever we think about how this correlates to what has happened with David Grish as it relates to his whistleblowing and indicating, kind of focusing on this this organization doing want- wrongdoing. Um, and that wrongdoing is really created through secondary source research. That's why you had Marco Rubio coming out not too long ago saying, you know, because he sits on the intelligence community, that he has actually heard whistleblowers of this caliber still talking about the same information. Well, these sightings have increased, and we've seen, uh, what do they call it, the TikTok? TikTok. Or TikTok, yeah, sorry, we're on TikTok. Uh, the TikTok basically shape that goes, you know, left, right, up, down, underwater, and uh, basically goes zero to 2,000 miles per hour, just like that. Yeah, they're using anti-gravity and anti-gravity um, kind of technology. But I think probably what's interesting about this as a whole is this is the first time we have this these Project Blue Book before, but this is the first time we have kind of this open dialogue to where we're seeing a government organization take accountability for the UFOs and for these narratives that are taking place, and they're coming out and saying yes. Obviously, you know, this is for the first time. We don't know what these things are, and we don't really know how to explain it. Well, so it, it it so it's it's strange. We've gone for decades and decades and decades where it was just deny, 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 and you know Trump declassified some of the information about UFOs or UAPs, and now it, it's sort of this thing that's out there. And so what happened um, last year was Congress put an act in place that allowed reports to occur of this nature without fear of, you know, like classified, you know, 
violation and that it could be an open report kind of mechanism. And that's because I've looked into this and actually I listened to a podcast of this guy named Sean Ryan and Dr. Stephen Greer was the guy. Mm -hmm. And he's been looking into this for decades and trying to bring it to light. And his sort of, you know, summary of it is because this, you know, law was put into effect where this kind of reporting could occur without repercussion or it violating some kind of classified nature, we're, we're hearing and seeing a lot more about it. Yeah, and I think whenever we look at David Gresh, who's a whistleblower, came out as a top, um, the top member within the intelligence community we've ever seen working for NGA, the Air Force, and in Afghan event, what he's really indicated is this project, this government organization has been in charge of creating disinformation campaigns whenever UFOs came out. So if we think about Roswell. This this particular arrow? So Arrow is tied to it, yes. So Arrow okay. then was Project Blue Book, so it's taken on different organizations, and they've rebranded it over time. Okay. So they had different intentions. Now we have a whole new – it's been completely revamped, refreshed, and we have a new um, – Sean Kemper is actually the director of it. But you look at this organization, what happens is they're saying that David Greshu is the whistleblower, so they misappropriated funding. And what happened is funding was going into different types of government contractors. And what you had is you didn't have full disclosure of what was happening to Congress. So David Gresh yeah. came out and indicated that within a report. Now, what's interesting is it hasn't gotten more um, eyes on it. It's kind of was a story then fizzled out a little bit. But when we look at it, more and more information is coming out where we're getting situations like Marco Rubio saying, yes, in fact, a lot of this stuff is likely. And I've, in fact, heard other people on the intelligence community talking about it and providing some insights. So so we're yeah. getting more information about it. Yeah, a lot of that, though, you know, is tied to this congressional change, which allows for more reporting uh, on this particular subject. I know that some people are keying in on the no more pronoun shirt that I'm wearing and it has nothing to do with the subject matter of the show. But if you want to buy this, you can go to IkeWingate.com or NoMorePronouns.com and purchase it to fund continued production of this content. Now, on, on that subject, though, here's the wild thing is this guy talks about this phenomenon and he says that this technology is... He says there are extraterrestrial uh, technologies that are associated with it. Mm -hmm. But then there are literally like a black ops part of our government that a lot of the government has n no knowledge of. Yeah. That's been operating for some time that actually developed this technology. And what he talked about is, you know, obviously he's way more advanced in, in articulating this, but basically this technology exists and it finds a way to neutralize the G's and things that are going on to where the person that's operating it doesn't feel it. Yeah. Well, it's reverse. So whenever you look at this technology, what you have to understand is it's going against gravity. So whenever we develop flight, whenever the Wright brothers develop flight and they develop the, the wings, you know, that correlates and how it gets lift, it's, it's applying to the natural law. So lift isn't a natural law. You know, with aviation, whenever you're tied into how the atoms are being split. Whenever you look at these spaceships, they're tying into the natural laws of going against gravity. So gravity in itself is a known law throughout the universe. But if you can manipulate gravity, you're manipulating the force. 
So if you can think of water is falling over you, if you could create um, a shield that stops the water, what you're able to do is maintain and manipulate different capabilities to where you can go in and out of water and not get wet. Well, with gravity, it's similar and how you're able to go back and forth and it's not affecting you, but you're manipulating the world around you. You're, you're manipulating the environment around you. And that's kind of what's taking place with the reverse engineering because it goes back to Bob Lazar indicating that this was something, you know, that was happening back, you know, not at Area 51, but another sister site where they were studying the same type of capabilities. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre when you hear people talk about this because it basically breaks uh, the ceiling in which we understand physics and the way that it works and that through, you know, knowing how atoms behave and, you know, being able to basically reverse engineer things and things like that, essentially uh, this minutiae, you know, is able to be sort of uh I don't know, negative, negative minutiae. I don't know how to describe this, but basically. Are you talking about matter? Well, no, basically the, the, the way to, you know, for an apparatus to ascend that quickly and, and turn, you know, like a 90 degree turn versus, you know, the gradual turn that we're sort of used to uh, observing is, is sort of what they're talking about. And essentially this has been in development since the 60s. And that most presidents aren't, you know, they're not privy to it. They don't, don't have knowledge of it. And people high up, even in the say intelligence or military, don't have knowledge of it as well. According to this Dr. Stephen Greer, who's been working on this for decades and decades and decades, trying to understand it, but also expose it to an extent. And he said one of the biggest things that's happened that they've been fighting for for thirty years was to get this congressional act to where people could become whistleblowers and be protected under the law and talk about it. Yeah. And that's really what happens with David Grish is being released as a whistleblower and starting to release it. But what's so weird is if you want to really think about the concept of what's crazy is David Grish has never seen any UFOs for himself. He has gone through the whistleblowing act within the DOD and they've gone through the information and declassified it. So the information we're seeing has been ran through a committee and that's what they're saying control can be released to the public, which in itself should be a flag to be like, okay, so what we're hearing can be released, but there's other information because he didn't want to not go against the proper channels that was gone through a filter. So that filter would have read it, identified what can be said to the public about UFOs. So do you think that this entity, you know, obviously it's a government entity, do you think they're trustworthy in the information that they're sharing or disclosing? Arrow? Yes. I think Arrow, yes. I think that they are trustworthy. I think obviously it's a new type of organization. They've been rebranded, but now they're focusing on aggregating all the data across the whole for the DOD. I do think they can be trusted. I think... David Gresh, whenever he was kind of coming in as a whistleblower, he's saying there's some stuff they're doing that can't be trusted about misinforming Congress, misappropriating funds. And he tied it to another situation that there's another organization within the DOD that's been creating misinformation for UFOs. So, I mean, I guess it's as much as you can trust a organization within the government that could potentially be studying UFOs. That's a big if right there, by the way. Yeah. But one, one theory out there has been that the reason why we're hearing so much more about, you know, UFOs and UAPs and whatever you want to call them is 
that as the public um, uncertainty, call it fear, distrust, you know, is out there and it grows with the more sightings that occur, that the public will be more affable to additional funding inside a DOD to explore and fight it. Yeah, and there's obviously there's funding that's been coming out. If you look at really the timeline of the release of information, it kind of correlates with the, the development of Space Force. So that's kind of where people are looking at, oh, this so this organization is being developed that's solely focused on space, that's, that's, that's going in line with the DoD slowly releasing information about potential UAPs. They don't know. They're still studying it. So, so yeah, I mean, you can look at it through that lens and be like, they're slowly releasing the information to potentially get more funding, but they don't really have to, you know? If you look at a campaign of slowly releasing information like this, because really what's happening is every June, for the last three or four years, we're getting dumps of information. We look at the article last June. That it, why, why is it June? I don't know. It, it's almost like, I, I don't know why it's June. I don't know if there's any correlation or if it's a spurious relationship. But whenever you look at the information, you don't know why it's being released in that nature. But every June, you're getting these Easter eggs mm-hmm. about the DOD and UFOs and UTAPs and, and everything like that. And last June, we had the DOD saying TikToks. So a year later, now TikTok. We, now we have David Grish coming out as a whistleblower. You know, when we look at those timelines, it's like, why is that happening? You know, what's a UTAP? You said UTAP. What is that? Mean? I'm sorry, the unidentified um, for now, UTAP is another program that was used, but they say they call them UAPs, right? Within the government, and that's kind of what I was referring to. So. Just, just to go back to this, Dr. Stephen Greer and what he's talking about, because he's he's he was a medical doctor who you know came in contact with some of this information and then basically changed his whole life to focus on this subject. And one of the things that um, <laughs> that that he was talking about is there are technologies that exist out there that have been intentionally suppressed mm-hmm. and that this technology for this kind of flight and maneuverability is one example, but another example would be that he cited again, this is him citing, you know, an object the size of a, uh, a pack of cigarettes that can run an entire house, mm-hmm. you know, from an energy standpoint. And, you know, his, one of the things that he's, you know, sort of pushing for is the, you know, the open source, uh, release of this technology. And so a lot of these inventors are like, no, 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 I'm not going to, you know, open source my invention. I want to patent it. And he said, that's the mistake that actually happens is they patent, they go or apply for a patent and then people contact them to buy them out or they're never heard from again. And so what he's trying to advocate for is don't patent it, make the first version open source. So the technology can just be out there and then you can patent the second iteration of it. But obviously, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of resistance uh, from that standpoint. But it all goes back to the fact or the, the theory, I should say, that this technology is out there and that we are part of it uh, in the United States. But he also alludes to that there's extraterrestrial technology as well. Yeah, I mean, what, you know, the big people's the big thing people say is when look at when the microwave was created 
if you look at the microwave as a part of technology, it really is an interesting part because it heats things up so quickly, right? But you look at around 1950 is whenever you potentially have the first Roswell situation, and then you have this this explosion of technology since then, you know, and that's really where people think about maybe there's they're they're reverse engineering, they're they're offspringing technology, and then they're they're developing new means for it, but. When you look at anti-gravity technology, you know, it's something that if that is really out there and it's being used, um, you know, what message does it send to different governments that it's like, hey, we potentially have UFO technology that we've been reverse engineering. So here's the soft side of it. So that's what you think? It's UFO technology that we've taken and then, you know, re-engineered yeah i mean if you look at the stealth bomber for instance you know you look at the stealth bomber and it goes it's like this almost the size of a football field and whenever you look at the design of it and you look at there's nothing really been like it before and you look at kind of area 51 really what it is um is a site to study um different um flying technologies you know and you look at that and how it correlates with potential um saucer designs there's been thoughts and about how those are kind of spearheading different types of technology like that so from your perspective you don't think that the government is developing this you know purely organically you think it's you know basically you know bastardizing extraterrestrial uh you know craft that they've encountered yeah i mean if you look at a lot of different situations so a big situation actually happened in virgin brazil so, Virgine Brazil is notably known for having probably the craziest UFO extraterrestrial experience. They had a spaceship crash that was like a cigar. There was literally UFOs walking around the town. An officer where in Virgine, Virgine, Brazil. All right. Now, is this confirmed? Because we're on a platform that. Uh, yeah, it's confirmed. It's a hundred percent. There's been aliens were walking around. Yes, and one of the cops who what they look like. Well, they, they described him as kind of little little oily creatures, about five, three foot nine with really big red eyes. Hmm. So there's been documentaries created about it, and, and you have that situation happen. Um, and one of the cops who actually picked up the aliens actually ended up dying three years later, or I'm sorry, three days later. And this is all this has all been talked about a lot within this town. Were they like radioactive or something? It could have been radioactive. They don't know if there was mucus that interacted with the skin, but he literally picked it up, put it in the car, and the doctors tried to determine what it was. Well, it got to a point where towards the end of it, the government didn't really know what to do. So what they did is they had a call in the Air Force, and the Air Force came down, picked everything up. To Brazil? Yeah, picked everything up, flew everything back um, to the United States. And if you look at that story... It goes in lines with what David Grish is saying as a whistleblower that the, the Air Force has teams that go out and deal with this, and we've experienced this before in other countries. It's interesting because, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this this Stephen uh, Greer, they have the same last name. That's kind of weird. His name is like Goresh. I can, no one, I never hear anyone say it right. Okay, well, so he, you know, his his point of view is this is this is an entity inside the government that nobody knows about um, that was instituted back. Um, I'm trying to remember who, who he said actually instituted. I can't remember, but it was in the, you know, maybe fifties. And so, you know, he, he, you know, sort of puts out a different theory, uh, as far as it being dealt with, not 
from a known standpoint, you know, inside the DOD per se, but little, little oily creatures with red eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm. You sure it wasn't like a, you know, rave or something that they stumbled upon? No, I mean, and this is stories have been told. So if you look at the, 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 the story of Frigine, Brazil, it took place in the mid nineties and you have, you have experiences on news. You have you have these three girls who are known who talk about it, who experience. Well, those three girls have been telling the same story for thirty years. So, if how can a story be so consistent and people be witnesses and tell the same story over and over again and be no difference in their story? But how many? How many? Okay, so devil's advocate. How many witnesses are we talking about? We're the whole town. So the whole town. Is 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 talking about it? You can Google it. You can look at the the documentary on Amazon. I mean, so there's a documentary on Amazon. You have any idea what it's called? Uh, I can look it up real quick. Um, so there's a documentary on Amazon that you know basically tells the story of a crash in Brazil and Frigine. Are you saying Frigine? It's it's pronounced Virgin. Virgin. Mm-hmm. Is it, how, what's it, Virgin, okay, so Virgin, uh, Brazil, is where this occurred, and this sighting was among several people in the town who observed oily creatures with red eyes, mm-hmm. interesting, okay, so Virgin, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, Virginia, I, I want to see the spelling of this, because uh, it sounds like the French word for um, E. Jean Carroll, <laughs> Cat, um, her cat's name. Yeah, well, and um, so you had a lot of different stories like that being created. So just give me one second here. Obviously, I'm not used to this technology. Okay. But whenever you get into it, it this is... Is it called Moment of Contact? Yes. Okay. It's All right. So we've got... Uh, so, so if you if you look up Moment of Contact, it's from 2022 on Amazon, yes? Yeah. So that's a really good documentary, and this story has been told in multiple UFO circles for decades until this gentleman actually went in and um, did the story. And when you watch it, it's pretty compelling. Like, you've never seen people who are so positive that they've seen something, you know? It's not like you don't watch it and you go, huh. You're like, oh, these people are really, really entrenched in this story. And you have, this is one of the first signs, and this guy was actually driving. So when it says uh, Varginana, well, they they call it Virgin with Virginia, you know, Virginia. Obviously, it's Portuguese. Is so that I, that looks like a uh, Brazilian spelling of uh, an anatomy part? Virginia. Virginia. So this was from 1996. Mm-hmm. Is the people uh, witnesses a slowly floating object losing altitude? I don't know. Do you want to vehicle that had beings on board? Mas que eles não poderiam admitir a verdade. But they couldn't admit the truth. Or the population would collapse. Nada temos a esconder. And then the government Finally, said they had the nothing to hide. the facts will be revealed. The Virginia case is considered the most well-kept secret in the military circles of Brazil. Okay, so it is a real thing. Yeah, I mean, of course it's a real thing. I wouldn't make it up. Oh, I'm just trying to, you know, let people that are listening and watching know. 
So whenever you whenever you look at this story, you look at kind of David Gresh's working in kind of what he's saying. We have some connective tissue, if you will, of 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 what could be happening, and this could have happened multiple times. But kind of in another um, article written by on the I think it was the public with a guy who co-authors with Matt Taibbi, he was saying that there's from some of his sources that there's probably about 175 people to maybe 700 people within the government that even knows about these kind of programs. So a really small group of people that get read in and they stay in it. So Hmm. that's really what, what you're getting. And whenever you talk about reverse engineering of technology um, and you look at, once again, you go back to Bob Lazar, who is a source that's been talked about for decades upon decades. Yes, he has a questionable past, but Everything he's saying is is really relatively spot on too. So if you have Fergine, you have David Gresh's whistleblower story, you have situations going on with Bob Lazar, you could put together an indication that UFOs that are crashing are being absorbed into a DOD program where they're studying and being reverse engineered. Hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Um, I I have a hard time going into so, so I'm much more apt to believe that these are governments doing things versus extraterrestrials. Personally, because I go, I, I, you know, I don't, you know, the technology piece, it, what to me was the unknown or the 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 puzzle piece that wasn't that that, that was missing. But after hearing multiple theories and and a lot of information about the fact that the technologies that we really have are far beyond what we know that sort of put a puzzle piece in place for me to go. Okay. I can very much believe that these are governments, whether it's our own or, you know, globally that are doing this. Um, It's the extraterrestrial piece that, that I find, you know, you know, hard to believe. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, these people walking around and things like that. I'm not saying it's not possible, but one question would be this day and age with all the cameras and everything that, you know, the surveillance state that we live in, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do we not catch this on camera yet? No, I and I totally agree with you. And I think that that is a question, you know, and, and it could happen maybe every 30 years. Maybe it happens every 50 years. Maybe the frequency isn't as high as we think it is. And, that, and that's really because... What David Gresh kind of indicates, there's about 12 ships, maybe. So if we look at 12 ships as a whole, it's not something that, it's not a frequent occurrence that one of these things crash into Earth. Okay, so here here's an interesting theory is, you know, from this particular individual, Stephen Greer. He said that once we set off the atomic bomb at Hiroshima, mm-hmm. It disrupted the, you know, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. It disrupted... The space-time continuum? Essentially, you know, multiple galaxies. And it was after that that we find... that That's when the sighting of these different craft occurred. And he says, and I haven't, you know, been able to corroborate this, but according to this guy... The sightings were largely spotted around 
nuclear mm-hmm. weaponry Military sites. Bases. Yeah, that in that that's where they have the frequency of sightings occur is around these UFO these these, these bases. Yeah, but he he was specifically indicating nuclear weaponry. You do have it around nuclear. They, you know, they have it a lot within Montana, places like that, where you have some of the ICBMs located. So his his point of view was it isn't aliens are coming to attack us. His point of view was aliens, you know, this this greatly disrupted their civilization, and so they're coming here to make sure we're not going to do that again. Yeah, and that's then that's pure speculation. speculation. I sure. mean, and you and that and that could be it, but. The only thing that I ever, I always lead to is we look at fiction. So if we look at fiction as a whole, you know, if we think about science fiction and the birth of it, we don't have a lot of stories about UFOs back even before 1850. So if we think about, like, when did people start to conceptualize the concept of UFOs, aliens, and extraterrestrial beings? If we look at one of the, the stories, which is War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, it's really the first story of its kind where it talks about extraterrestrial activity. And we look at the slow drip within the last century, and we're getting that story. And that happened 50 years, 60 years before the dropping of the atomic bomb. So if we look at it from that standpoint, it's like, how did H.G. Wells get these stories? And then if we go on and we look at War of the World by H.G. Wells about the UFO invasion um, and what that did to society... But those those are fictional stories. They're fictional stories, but I guess what my point is like, um, it wasn't something really even thought of in the fictional realm within the last hundred years or in the last hundred and twenty five years. You know, which I think is a really interesting point when you think about UFOs. I mean, it's like it's not like we can pick up a book from the olden time. I mean, yes, sailors have indications of what happened at night, but you know, you have you have kind of a drip happening from there, you know, and that story still does crazy. I mean, it did like 150 million in the box office, even to date when we look back from 2017. But the point is, is like, I think. Which story? We're talking about. uh, War of the Worlds when Tom Cruise took it over. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so do you think that because H.G. Wells articulated it, then therefore it became something that people were able to then articulate what they saw versus, you know, some heavenly signs or something like that. I think, I think that that the fiction stories allow people to put words to things they can't explain. And we, we have situations now where if you look to at the frequency of UFO movies, like, you know, I looked at it. So I looked at the spectrum of UFO movies. And if we look at it going back to 1940 to 2000, there's about 300 UF movies made. From 2000 on, that's been like tripled. So it's becoming more and more part of of the psyche, more so than any time in history. So when we look at that, people can describe it better. Okay, they can they'll look up things in the sky and they'll find different things. And you don't really know how to categorize it, but people now are more aware of it probably than they've ever been in modern society. So so you're saying there's a possibility that it's been happening all along, but because it was framed up by H.G. Wells, then people are able to better describe what they're seeing? Yeah, I think H.G. Wells set it in motion, and people have spun off and wrote tons of stories about invasions, and, and it's been a big part of, of, of the sub-science sub, sub, um, sub science fiction culture forever. You know, 
And I think that's what happens within movies is it allows people to do better jobs of describing things that can't be described. It's like if you took a kid now from this time and age and they talked about aliens and you took a kid from 150 years ago, they couldn't even have the same conversation. What they both can conceptualize is completely different, you know, just from a fiction standpoint. Or is it possible that H.G. Wells dreamed up this idea, you know, from his imagination, and then the government said, we need to create a program around that? I don't know. I mean, I can't really say any, I can't say it, but I'm, I, I, I can look at what that story did, and then you look at the releasement of the radio story that sent people in shock and yeah. panic. And you That's because it was really well done. It was, was, it, was, it was a great podcast. No, I'm just kidding. But when you look at that, it was done really well. And whenever you look at probably why the drip is happening, because disclosure is post and pre-disclosure, disclosure concept that whenever UFOs are truly identified by the government and say UFOs are real, you know, this is something that was, I think, thought up by the same guy or a UFO guy, and you know, the post and pre aspect of disclosure, this is all lead-ups to it. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So where do we, where do we land here after you talk about the arrow organization and things like that? What else, what else needs to be said? I think that people just need to be aware of this conversation because you could be living your day just like this, having a conversation just like this and start sightings will become more frequent People are going to see it. Whenever you turn on the news one day in the first maybe 10, 15 years of tomorrow and you see a UFO hovering over the ocean and people have seen it and it's going through the news and there's there's this strong story about it, that's when society is really going to be tested. And I think we're in a disclosure drip. I think we're slowly getting information that's getting our psyche ready to process it. You know? But I mean, on one hand, though, I go, you know, this, this is the kind of subject matter that, you know, people are interested in. You know, the polling has been done, you know, surveys, you know, basically people believe there's something going on and they're interested in it. Is this potentially just a distraction? I mean, it could be. I mean, these things, if it's, it could be distractions. You know, the thing is you can't rule anything out, you know, the th- and especially whenever you're looking at these programs. But it'd be like, what are we being distracted for? I mean, it's so easy to distract us. Why would you create a whole UFO program like this? I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, again, one of the theories is that you create this, you know, unknown, this fear out there in the public, and they're going to be a lot more, they're going to go along with additional funding to the DOD for it. The DOD doesn't need to ask for funding. You know, the DOD goes to the Senate and they provide funding, but they're. Well, I know, but the senators, they, if the people and the public are supportive of it, it's going to make it, it's going to grease the skids a lot, a lot better. I don't know. I think that, um, it's that, that's, it, that's unknown. It's hard to say. It's hard. It's hard to answer that with any relative, um, understanding because I think they're always going to have funding. Now, if there's a, especially if they're able to get shadow funding or things like that. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of unknowns with it. Clearly there but there's more gnomes now than ever. And the fact that you have the DOD coming out and you have this whistleblower who had to go through a committee and had to be said what they could and couldn't say shows us that the DOD knows what the information is being released. So 
what else do you think people need to know about this subject? I mean, I think if you're looking at it from just understanding it, it's like, you know, if if UFOs are real, if, if there is things about this, it's a game changer. You know, it's like if there is UFOs being studied and if the government is reverse engineering them, it's going to, you know, eventually it's going to change the whole way we look at the world, not necessarily from a standpoint of extraterrestrial, but you're looking at intergalactical galactical traveling. Yeah. Which begs the question, how did those cows get mutilated? We'll have to save that for another episode. <laughs> okay, well, it's your podcast. You tell us where you want to go from here. Well, I think that's all I have. I think I think for having me. You know, it's always a pleasure coming here in the studio. Thank you, TikTok, for your harassing comments that I received. Um, <laughs> and I appreciate all of the positive comments from all of the supporters of Ike Nation. Always one of the best nations on TikTok Live. You know, Zach, we'll have to talk at some point about the things that have been uncovered in the mystery that is TikTok. The things that get you banned, the things that are allowed to stay on, and the differences between TikTok and, say, Instagram and YouTube and Twitter and others. Or if you just podcast on your own and you just... I don't know. I could. Well, I think it'll have to be in the Ike files for next time. Mm, Very good. All right. Close us out. Uh, if you guys want to find me, it's the Master of None. Like and follow on my profile. You guys can go ahead and go to Spotify, Instagram, Instagram, iTunes, anywhere where you can get a get a podcast and put the Master of None. You'll see my face. You'll see this image in the background. Like and follow. This is the stuff I talk about on my podcast. Content within 15-minute blurbs to really get you going for the day. All right. Well, thank you, TikTok nation and uh, that's not something thank you ike nation here on tiktok for joining us thank you for uh following give uh the master of none a follow and uh hopefully you know you'll be seeing some additional lives like this on certain subject matters as we uh endeavor to expose the lies that we are continuing to be told as this show continues to shine a light into the dark corners of our government, our culture, and our media. I'm sorry if you can't sleep right now. Look over your shoulder. Say a prayer. And kiss the sky. <laughs>